0: And welcome to Blue Royalty, a London is Blue podcast dedicated to Chelsea women's team. I'm your host, Jessica Humphreys, joined today by Ollie Glanville. We are checking in just before Chelsea men play Borussia Dortmund. I found with the time difference, it's easier to keep track of time in relation to football matches, which is a great, great tactic until you realise you've put the football matches in at the wrong times and then you just don't know where you are. So we did have a false start, but Ollie, we've made it um how are you enjoying the world cup
1: yeah i'm really enjoying it actually there was um there was talk about how there's closing the gap but um as i'm sure we'll come on to it feels like we're even closer than we ever have been before in terms of the quality of the women's games it's joyous to watch
0: yeah definitely i think it's been amazing we're coming off the back obviously of i'm trying to figure out that everyone's at different times it doesn't matter what for me was last night's um group f sort of group f and group e i think was the other one with the shock exits basically for italy uh, and even more so for brazil coming off the back of obviously canada going out which we will touch on because obviously there's so much chelsea presence there there in particular but yeah it's been incredible to see um teams who have really stepped it up over the past four years you know jamaica are a great example of that they didn't concede a goal and at the 2019 World Cup they conceded at least a hat trick in every single game they played from from one player so uh lots of things have changed um and it's, it's been very exciting i think um but yeah i feel like today we're going to sort of there's obviously so much to get through um we're going to try and rattle through the the rat end of the group stage with obviously specifically focusing on uh, Chelsea players and how they 've done and and what the the future looks like, whether they go back to Cobham or whether they 're carrying on playing more football um because we've got a bit of we've got some divergent paths going on there at this point uh which i'm not too sad about, given some of the players who are going home early uh, but Ollie, I think we have to start with England, and specifically we have to start with lauren James
1: yeah the one the only i mean she really you know you picked her up before the world cup so you know of course you did because you know it wasn't
0: a particularly it wasn't a particularly insightful (laughs) i think most people would have said laura James it's have a good world cup well you know
1: she didn't start first game you know it it looked you know looked a bit iffy for about 75 minutes um (laughs) yeah she truly announced herself um in this match day and yeah just what a way to do it you know like youngest ever world cup First ever England player um, to rack up five goals, um, goal involvements rather, and yeah, just what a way to do it. I mean, it should have been six. Let's be honest. I still have no idea what the VAR call was about, um, the intentions of the attacker, and how she absolutely didn't mean to clear it. It was accidental, and Lucy Bronze's offside, but whatever. Skirt around that. Lauren James was absolutely incredible, and I just love that she's finally getting her flowers on on the world stage because we know how brilliant she is and how brilliant she can be and it's now just undeniable the highlights packages are everywhere
0: yeah um in, i enjoyed there were so many good lauren james memes as well i feel like she really inspired some great memeing but uh, my favorite was from m11 where it's the clip from uh, love a uh, love actually where she watches <laughs> She watches the video and then Kira Knightley goes, it's all me. And it was Lauren, like Lauren James looking at highlights of the World Cup. But she's she's been a total star. And I think that whole England performance, obviously it's been a bit of a slow start to the World Cup for England. Um, the 1-0 win over Haiti, 1-0 win over Denmark, which Lauren James scored the winner in, uh, but was obviously overshadowed because of the, the Kira Walsh injury. And then this 6-1 win over China just felt like they kind of burst into life. There was obviously a formation change as part of this Serena Vigman went to a back three moved Lauren James to play as as the 10 when so far for England we've seen her off the left wing how much of a difference do you think that made for Lauren do you think that was what allowed her to put in the performance that we saw against China or do you think this is something that, that was maybe in the works regardless
1: yeah I mean the word that keeps coming out from everyone you know her her dad super frank kirby on five live emma hayes literally every commentator every analyst is freedom right and the freedom that lauren james is allowed to express herself with um is is key is crucial and we've seen how she's adapted her game to become a more complete player in terms of her work rate working back and defending which i thought was really interesting actually as part of this free role but when you get her drifting deep and allowed to play in the 10 role, essentially, but also like a deeper line eight at points to lay in, you know, uh, Lauren Hemp for the second goal um, with that little headed assist for um, Leslie Russo, like it, it's just, it just allows her to express herself. And there are very few ways of stopping a confident Lauren James in full flow. Like you just have to either foul her as China tried to do and bounced off her multiple times or just find another way tactically of blocking it off. And I think it's not just Lauren that it helps either. It's the whole team, like every part of the team looked far more comfortable in their designated roles. You see sort of the back line that was all... Uh, you know, especially Jess Carter, who I'm sure will come on to, was sort of unfairly maligned to say that she hadn't, you know, nothing going forward. And of course, she got that lovely assist for Lauren's uh, second goal as well. But it just allows that freedom in solidity. So it's that kind of contradictory way of looking at it. But what, what it allows is Lucy Bronze to bomb forward and to not be exposed for her weaknesses defensively because you've got essentially a right back behind her and Jess Carter, who's there to mop up all the time. You've got Rachel Daly, who's just a wing striker, essentially just crashing the back post as she did perfectly for the sixth goal. And then behind her, you've got Alex Greenwood, who's immensely like useful in terms of defending and also playing out from the back as well on the ball. So it's so solid. And it, uh, it's such a weird way to look at it, but Kira Walsh's injury has forced this change, and she can slot straight back in where Katie Ellen was, even though Katie Zelen was very neat and tidy, I thought, and recycled the ball well. It's just kind of a nice way to fall into it, and these kind of strange, uh, you know, passages of chance form the way that tournaments are ending. So yeah, let's hope it goes the right way.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm comparing it to when Antonio Conte switched to a back three because I feel like it, it's genuinely that level of I think I mean obviously Chelsea before that in that season were much worse than England have been, but that that switch that gets flicked and suddenly you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I never saw the team in this way because it looks like I'm watching a totally different set of footballers. Um yeah, Lj as well, I think, is especially interesting. She's always said she wants to play as a 10. I think it's fascinating that Chelsea have signed probably, you know, the best under 25-10 except Eldre in Cap Macario, who also maybe wants to play as a 9. But then we might be signing Mia Fischel, who's a 9. So there's going to be a lot of interesting things, I think, to see how people, you know, develop in, in those roles, All well, three of those sort of younger players going forward. But... I think it's a great problem to have. And I'm sure Emma Hayes is going to enjoy figuring that one out because she may as well have just been sitting back and laughing into a microphone for the commentary (laughs) as Lauren James was playing, which was truly delightful. Um, Leah, let's just quickly talk about Jess Carter as well. Uh, you, You mentioned the assist for LJ's second goal. I tweeted saying made at Kings Meadow and one person replied saying LSV, e.g. Lee Sports Village. One person replied saying Colney. And I just need to ask, when did Jess Carter play for United or Arsenal? Because I was not just talking about Lauren James. Uh, We need to put some respect on that assist because it was an absolutely lovely ball.
1: It was absolutely beautiful. I mean, she picked out the back post, right? It wasn't just like a a hit and hope percentage pass. As Emma Hayes said on comms, it's what they work on, outswinging balls, from the edge of the box, from the front of the box, are what they work on in training, especially in a back three. And we know Jessica Carter can deliver those balls on with a left foot as well, even. So it's like, you know, <laughs> her talent is undeniable as much as people try to deny it, is all I'll say. I think she's completely underrated, and I don't understand why. And I think this back three could really be the making of her international career, because we already know how she yeah. is at club level.
0: Yeah, and it's a formation that, that suits her and it suits Millie, I think, as well, to be to be playing there. Uh, for the second goal, you sort of see Millie kind of accidentally storming out of defence because she made a mistake, but then just carrying on going and that sort of sets everything up for, for Hemp's goal. Um, but I think it gives everyone this solidity over the pitch. Um, and then there's an interesting, you know, tactical element as well. We've seen 4-4-2s be very popular at this tournament. And then obviously back threes kind of allow for lots of uh, different overloads uh, when you're playing against a 4-4-2. So it'll be interesting to see when some of the back three teams come up against each other. I don't exactly know. Actually, I don't think Japan and the Netherlands can meet t- till the semi-finals, But they're probably the two other teams who've like notably got good results from playing with a back three. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, just a quick shout for Nee Charles making her World Cup debut. I can't lie; it wasn't the most accomplished display. It didn't really have to matter at that at that moment, but a great moment for her to to get on the pitch.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of just happy she came on really because we had the Beth England uh, kind of <laughs> minor debacle in in the Euros when it was like, can she just get on? Please, could she just get on at some point? Um, and yeah, I'm just glad Neve got minutes. Um, yeah, she tried a couple of crosses; <laughs> they didn't really come off. But I'm just yeah, I'm glad she got on the pitch of the World Cup.
0: Yeah, very cool. I feel like Jordan Nobbs is going to become this new Beth England thing on Twitter, which is already irritating me a little bit. But anyway, let's take an ad break here. And then we, when we come back, we will talk about Canada's shock exit from the World Cup group stage. So, Ollie Canada went into their final group stage game knowing that they needed a draw against Australia um, to go through. There was a the potential that if Nigeria lost by more than two goals or something to Ireland, that both Canada and Australia could go through. But I was at Nigeria Island. I was at the wrong game. Um, And they looked totally solid. And Ireland didn't look like they wanted to score at all, which was a bit bizarre to me because you'd have thought they wanted to win that game. Uh, Anyway, Canada totally fell apart, basically. Uh, They lost 4-0 to Australia, who dangled Sam Kerr in front of them and then didn't need her at all. Um, Let's just... We'll talk about Sam, I think, in, in just a minute. But let's talk about... Uh, Canada and specifically Khadisha, Ashley Lawrence and Jesse Fleming, all of whom started this match. Where do you think it's gone wrong for this Canada team?
1: I think it went wrong months ago. <laughs> I think it went wrong coming into the World Cup. I mean, uh, Mia Eriksson obviously on, came on the pod the last pod um, before this one and and talked about the kind of situation that Canada came into this uh, tournament with. And you could just see it, it was so hard for them to just achieve like basic patterns of play in this tournament. It felt like they were really, really trying to just string a few passes together. And when you look at the players on paper, it just shouldn't be the case, right? It just shouldn't be the case that, that that midfield or the well the back line especially should find it hard to kind of deal with very basic play patterns that Australia were occupying which basically just hit it forward and (laughs) hit the wings and and find spaces either either side of the centre backs it was very effective but that was also because the back line just wasn't being marshaled properly and and Gilles or Gilles was often like trying to make up for her lack of pace and and staying deep. And then you just saw there was so much angst in the Canadian team just constantly. It felt like they were just so anxious coming into it, even though they only needed a draw. It was almost felt like it was the reverse, like they were the host team and they were desperate for a win. Um, And it, yeah, it's just, it was so odd to watch and play out and it almost just felt inevitable after the first 10 minutes or so.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, the backline element, I, I I agree, Gilles probably is the player who didn't cover herself the most in glory. Caitlin Sheridan also, in my opinion, is almost entirely at fault for for the second goal because I don't know what she was doing there. Um it's a classic. If you come for that ball, you have to get it. Uh but Kadisha and Ashley Lawrence, in as part of that back line, have both had moments where they've They've struggled, you know. Buchanan, I think specifically against Ireland, she came off at half time. There's a bit of a I think people aren't really sure how fit she is. Um, and I know it's easy to be like, oh, you have a good game, you have a bad game, and then you're like, I'm not quite fit, or I'm a bit ill. Um, but I do think when you look at the players' Canada has available, it makes sense they felt they had to play Buchanan no matter what. So I do think it's kind of a persuasive narrative, but I think we did see in those games the concerns that that we've talked about before, which is almost just, it didn't look like she was ill or she wasn't fit. It just looked like she couldn't make a decision correctly. Um, Ashley Lawrence, I think, didn't look as bad, but I think also clearly looks a lot more comfortable when she's playing at right back than she is at left back, which is an interesting problem for Chelsea because we've talked about how we think Lawrence probably will end up at left back with Perissa at right back. What what did you make of the, those specific individual defensive performances?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is a tough one with Khadisha. Um She she doesn't look 100% fit. But as you say, the decision-making was, it was worrying at times. Uh, the, a lot of the time against Ireland, she was struggling with the physicality, which you don't really associate with Khadisha, um especially not at Leon. but then... We've seen at times in the WSL when she's come up against a physical forward, she tries to gamble in front of them rather than take that kind of 50-50 duel. Um, and that kind of raised its head again against Ireland. And to some extent, really, against Australia as well. Because Australia are a very, very physical team. They play to their strengths. And it felt like Khadija didn't really want that battle. Um, she looked kind of more comfortable with a ball at her feet, which which is fine. But it's yeah it is a worry heading into the season and you know going back to Jess Carter you see how accomplished she's looking at center back and and how she finished the season you know we're saying out of position but clearly she can play that role there are decisions to be made there i think and and i think emma you know she's watched Jess Carter every england match for itv she and and She does always try and appear unbiased, but she's clearly quite happy with the progress that Jess has been making. Um, So, yeah, I think that's definitely something to watch. Um, In terms of Ashley, yeah, it it wasn't her most comfortable game. It definitely wasn't. And I do think that was partly to do with she was at left centre-back and and worrying about covering her um, in recovery because part of Ashley's game is being so kind of carefree at wanting to, you know wanting the attackers to put the ball past her and go, try and beat me for pace, you've got no chance because of her endurance speed, as we know. She can just recover and defend. But it was interesting to see her kind of misplace basic passes going forward as well. And I do think that was part of the overall environment of that angst. And I'm sure it will come on to Jesse Fleming as well. But it just felt between the whole Canada squad that it was just so disjointed. And that, I guess that does come from uh Bev on the on the bench as well just maybe not setting out her best players in their best positions but uh you know anti to what um Serena did with with England but yeah it was just it was an interesting one I think Ashley Lawrence's best game was the second game uh of Canada's group stage and I I don't think this was one of her stronger ones I don't think she was at all terrible like, I, I think she was just steady. Um, she had some wobbly moments. She had some good moments. But when you're playing in this Canada team that has this kind of overall angst, it feels like it's not an environment conducive to success.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I felt like Lawrence, obviously, she sort of lost Haley Rasso on that first goal. But I think it was really notable how it didn't happen again, even though Australia were trying to make similar runs. And I thought she got really tight and aware. And I thought that was a really good example of sort of... Um, of, of tactical awareness of, of on the pitch, of, of being able to to personally make your own changes to your game based on what your opponents are doing, and I think that's that's something that's the kind of intelligence that we've not always had from from players playing out wide for Chelsea potentially. Um, so I thought that was a good sign. Uh, let's let's talk about Fleming because I think yeah Lawrence is the attacking elements of her game being neutralised and then how Jessie Fleming played, they're, they're two very similar things. And I think for me, lots of it just came down to the fact that Bev P- Priestman clearly has no idea what her best starting eleven is or who she wants to be attacking for Canada. And some changes have been enforced, obviously, like Jesse Fleming missed the first game, but then came back into the team. But we saw Christine Sinclair in and out. We were seeing multiple changes at halftime in every game i think she made changes i think she made one at half time in the first game three at a half time in the second and four against australia which is just like we've talked about when emma does that and how that feels like panic to be doing that across three world cup group stage games i think is extra bonkers um it just feels like she she knew she was getting it wrong and she had no idea how to get it right um the main plan often seemed to be to try and get the ball out to to Hitama or to have Sinclair try and hold it up. Um, neither of those two things work particularly well. I thought Jessie Fleming was fine in her like normal buzzing around, like winning back balls uh, in the midfield area. The problem was, was that there was no one to then, there was no movement ahead of her to then put the ball forward. Um, and I think it's tough for Jessie because obviously she's had this sort of Mantle of like, she's the new Christine Sinclair, like, she's so important to that team. Like, she was one of the players who was really like fronting up doing those absolutely heartbreaking interviews where she was crying after the game. Um, and you know, she was so essential to that Olympic gold win. She took all the penalties, she took the clutch penalties to get them to, to that point where they could then win another penalty shootout. Um, it's very interesting, isn't it, Ollie, Like watching her play, I have this role, this sort of very senior, very important, very pressurized role for Canada, because it's so different to how we see her at at Chelsea. Um, what what do you kind of make of those t- the two Jesse Flemings?
1: Yeah, it's kind of yeah the Jesse Jesse Fleming dichotomy. Yeah, I, I she's she's such a kind of. A leader off the pitch for Canada as well in terms of like leading activism and things like that, and she's clearly a leader in the dressing room. um But again, it's it's so it's so strange to see her utilized just in such a strange way. Like she was essentially just doing shuttle runs in the middle third, right? And when you have when you have a midfield around you of Quinn and Grosso, there's not really conducive to that much kind of creativity, right? So you're you're telling you're telling jesse fleming to be part of the first phase because she was dropping to like almost like a four position to take the ball from the center backs and then she was expected to break forward and be a 10 as well and it just felt like you, you were saying like she's got the mantle of of being the next player for canada and it just felt like she was being asked to do two roles at once just because maybe the quality around her isn't as great as, as it maybe sort of looks on paper, but yeah, I also think you made a really good point about Christine Sinclair. It's like it's her last World Cup, and it kind of just felt like it just passed, right? It just it just went, and I guess we kind of expected that going in, and and how she's not, you know, she's not what she used to be, one of the you know the greatest strikers of all time. But I think it was really interesting that she had to take that penalty in the first game for Canada. And we know she didn't want to take it. And we know Jesse Fleming would have taken it. And that kind of pressure moment of knowing that this was probably her last big chance to score a goal at a World Cup for Sinclair. And you saw the pressure just made her collapse on the pitch afterwards. And that, to me, is exactly how the whole Canada squad felt going into this World Cup.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, a, a kind of sad end to to Christine. I mean, who knows? I Christine Sinclair hasn't actually said this is her World Cup. Everyone's just like, surely she won't do another one, but I reckon we could watch Christine Sinclair be playing for Canada well until she's 60. Uh, let's just quickly chat about Sam. Obviously, she was supposedly available for this match, did not warm up at all, did not look like she was available for this match. Um, apparently said you know, before, like, go and sort of win it, and then I've got an extra week so to rehab this this calf. Are you concerned about her potentially being rushed back? My feeling has, is that as much as, like, you know, I obviously love and care about Sam playing for Chelsea, the momentum of this whole tournament and this experience for her and how horrendous it has been for her to miss it so far, I'm like, go and do whatever like whatever happens happens but like I really hope she gets the opportunity to play at least some minutes for Australia at the World Cup
1: yeah I mean listen she is this World Cup basically right she's the poster girl if you talk about who anyone is looking forward to who's never watched women's football before Sam Kerr is the face of it people who just play FIFA (laughs) they know about Sam Kerr right she is you know the one in the lights, right? And and we want her to get that experience because you don't get a home World Cup, especially not as captain. And do you know what? I'm much more comfortable about it now. <laughs> now she's got that week to rest. I was a bit worried that it wasn't just a gambit and that they were going to just like spray her calf and see what happens uh, because that was kind of the message that was coming out but they can't use that gambit again if they if they say that sam is going to play she has to play because i'm not doing that with our hearts together it's not going to happen but yeah I, I definitely think i definitely think she will play uh, next up and i think it will probably revolutionize australia going forward because they really at the moment only have a plan a and it has been very effective, to be fair to them. And they've very much played to their strengths. But when you have that plan A plus a Ballon d'Or level player, you become a serious kind of threat in this tournament.
0: Yeah, next up, the hero Sam Kerr versus the traitor harder. Um That was a joke, that was a joke, that was a joke. But uh, yeah, it will be Australia-Denmark in the round of 16, which I think will be an interesting match-up. I think it will be a game Australia feel like they should win. Um, but Australia likes to make things hard for themselves, so we'll see. Okay, we'll take another ad break here and we'll come back in a second to talk a bit more about some of that other Chelsea players. So let's start with Norway, truly the most mediocre team. Between Norway and Italy, it's a real toss-up for me as to who is the most mediocre team at this tournament. But Italy have gone home, so I don't have to watch them anymore. Norway, however, they did beat the Philippines, grew Right and scored a goal. Um, I don't know how much there is to say about this team, other than Gua Raiten is still playing as an eight. Marily Elder's there. This team is kind of horrible. They played Sophie Hall because Ada Hegerberg wasn't available, uh, and she's great at headers. And maybe that will help them in games. Um, and Caroline Graham Hansen also, when you play her, she's quite good at football. That's basically what I learned from watching Norway. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it feels like it feels like Hagarisa at the moment is just kind of she's got all her like bingo balls in a in a big wheel and she's just kind of <laughs> rotating it and then just chucking it out as an eleven and seeing what Guru Ryder right number eight. <laughs> so literally, apparently it keeps hitting number eight. I, like we need to see what's going on with this wheel. It's rigged. Uh, it's definitely rigged. Um, but yeah, they Norway feel a bit like an elephant up a tree at the moment. Like you don't know how they got there or how they're even like getting through the group at the moment. But at some point it feels like they're going to fall down. And I don't know why that is. It feels completely illogical that Norway can't find a way of playing like to their strengths and they have so many strengths. It's unreal. I mean, you couldn't ask for a, probably a more talented squad to go into a world cup in peak condition in like peak of their powers. and yeah, there's they're finding a way. <laughs> maybe maybe that's maybe that's the job Hegeriša has. She's finding a way to make it fair on the <laughs> group stage opponents that they have to face um, by putting out these crazy teams. But yeah, I'm glad Gurry scored. I'm glad she's got a couple of nice moments, but I just worry that if they just continue with this way, that she's gonna come home. And do you know what? maybe that's good for us maybe we want her home and rested
0: yeah uh norway have japan up next which i think will be if if things go to form but look it's a world cup and you never know and i think as as you've kind of said about norway there they they do have the players where you're just like you only need Cjh or guru potentially to to have one moment um in in these games and you'd still back them to get a, a win in a knockout fixture but Japan have obviously looked very very good um probably the best team at the tournament i think we've seen so far let's move on to france they topped their group in this crazy 6-3 win over panama um which effectively uh well it wasn't really them who knocked brazil out jamaica knocked brazil out by drawing nil nil with them um the big thing France has changed uh between their first game, their no no draw with Jamaica and here is that they started like Eve Pariset, and suddenly they have looked a lot better um I think the Panama game is a bit of a that was just a whole fever dream, I think for everyone involved, but Eve came in for the Brazil game as well and totally locked down that that right hand side defensively um with we know brazil really like to attack down the left although i will say them watching brazil against jamaica maybe they maybe they're not that good at attacking down the left but against panama they were very very good um she's looked really good i think alongside lacroix basically this was always i think the logical way to arrange the french defense um but it's like been a great moment i think for eve to kind of come into this team and be like you shouldn't it's a bit like laura james right like you should have always been starting me
1: absolutely i mean she's just out here basically with her hands like excuse me am i like am i a joke for you <laughs> kind of thing um <laughs> but yeah it's it's so so clear and i i i feel i feel a bit sad for kenza dali as well um who came into this tournament so high off off her season at, um at aston villa the Vicky show has come in after the sort of 60 minutes in the first game and just looked like electric, basically. And her partnership already with Ev Perissé down that right side and then Lacroix's, Lacroix's solidity, where she actually plays at right centre back after being basically torn apart for playing out of position in the first game, which is very weird. Um <laughs> Is just so obvious, right? and i has done something that Hegarisa physically cannot do and play players in their <laughs> actual positions. And lo and behold, a an immensely talented team like France look very very good. I do want to say though, uh, Marta Cox, shout out to her. That was. Probably goal of the tournament, potentially. I mean, we 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 could see some incredible goals going forward, but just the way she hit it was just unerring. Like you, there was no chance anyone was ever going to save that from thirty yards as well. And just what a moment for Panama as well, just to kind of get that. And they, I think they double celebrated their third goal as well because it was checked by VAR. So they, they piled on in the first celebration and then it got checked again and they piled on again and had a dance. And it was, yeah, an amazing moment. Those are the kinds of moments of World Cups that you live for.
0: Yeah, if you haven't seen that goal, it, it is incredible. And I think that whole um, Panama, like, performance was just another real highlight of the World Cup because I think something that we've really enjoyed being able to see is there's been very few teams at the world cup who haven't had a moment um whether it was new zealand sort of winning their opener panama managing to score three against france like lots of teams even if they've gone out have had these like things to celebrate and i think that's been really really joyous to see uh let's just quickly pay a tribute to some former blues in drew spence and becky spencer both of whom were absolutely integral Uh, to Jamaica Drew Spence for me has been probably the best uh, maybe apart from Alison Swaby on this Jamaica team Um, I just think she's looked so good the the role they want her to play is so perfect Drew Spence because it's like run around make your tackles make your interceptions but then if there's a gap turn and go and push up and I just think it's something that suits her so much and obviously you know Bunny Shaw is is the star but she missed. Um, she missed the Panama game because she was injured, and I thought Drew really like took on a lot of leadership in that in that game. And then against France, I don't think Bunny looked fully fit. Uh, but again, um, Drew Spence just she was all over the place. And Becky Spencer, she didn't have a huge amount to do, to be honest, but she did everything she had to do very well and very calmly. And that's what you want from a from a goalkeeper. And it's great to see Oli these these players who you know were in sort of England youth age groups were in and around England senior camps and um, either it didn't work out for them or they were actively basically pushed out of those those setups to, to go and get um, an amazing World Cup moment with with a, another nation that that's part of their um, part of their history
1: yeah and absolutely you know this is also a, we can't forget that it's a squad that came into this World Cup purely off a of crowdfunder right off a of crowdfunder of Bob Marley's family and they weren't backed by their FA you know anywhere near as much as they should be and this is them getting their flowers right they are very good players like you know Drew Spence is a a legend for Chelsea Chelsea women I'm sorry she absolutely is ironclad legend and she absolutely controlled the midfield today and you know Brazil are no pushovers, as they as they've shown in in previous in previous outings. Um, they're not as good as they were in the kind of heady golden days of Marta, and, and it's sad to see her go as well. And there was a lovely moment with Lauren Donaldson at the end, the Jamaica coach, where they uh, shared a chat. But yeah, it's you know Drew Spence is a proper proper footballer, and I'm. It's so silly to see people write off jamaica as like minnows and whatever you have to look at the players on the, on the pitch and i i guess i guess when you look at it and you just say well bunny Shaw's going to be the star and then she gets injured you look at it and say well you know that they don't really have a chance here but they have been coached and set up impeccably this tournament they know what their strengths are they know that Drew is going to control the ball for them. And as you said, she's got that role, that dual role of being a spoiler in the purest possible Drew sense and also a creator. And that's perfect for her. That's where she fits. And if you give her the ball, she will cycle the ball around. She will cause threats. She will cut things out. And I think people just have to take them seriously. Like Swaby is a very good defender. Becky Spencer is a good goalkeeper. Like they are at a level where you absolutely have to say that they deserve to go through. And and not just that it's a shock for Brazil as as the kind of popular media fallout is, even though it obviously is.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I do like the way that they've really, like not like shithouse, because that kind of implies that they've been like dirty, they've not played dirty. But to go get out of a World Cup group stage by drawing nil-nil twice and winning one nil is just one of the funniest things ever. Like, if that's, the, that's the way you needed to play, because th- this group was hard, you know, like, I can understand why you go against France and Brazil, and you're like, we'll take what we can get. Uh, and they did. And uh, like, I, I absolutely love that for them. Um Let's quickly wrap up with some chat about Sweden and we'll just touch on Germany they obviously finish off the group stage tonight Um, Sweden I think have basically looked fine in a pretty mediocre group Um, they basically are winning everything because John Anderson just puts the ball onto new Arsenal player Amanda Ilestet's head. It's a good tactic, especially against an Italy team who really could not defend. So they absolutely battered them. Lots of changes were made uh, for their 2-0 win over Argentina, but they've looked very comfortable in truth. Because they've topped the group and because the USA aren't looking very good and came second... We've got Sweden-USA, the, you know, women's football fixture of the past sort of decade in the round of 16. Looks like we'll get Mucevic in goal. Jennifer Falk did start the final final group game, but I think that was a bit of rotation. Kanarid, I think we'll also see it come back into the team. I am sad we don't have like a Nick Fellaini voice note on the US meltdown because, my God, there's a meltdown. Uh, but... Do you think the Swedes can do it Ollie?
1: I I do. I really do. Um again on paper on paper you know the the US have just an incredible wealth of attacking talent and as solid as as Sweden have looked to the back we know the potential weaknesses of of Magda in transition and Jonner in transition especially but they look really solid and they're playing to their strengths. And, you know, it's the complete polar opposite of Norway in a kind of similar standard of group. They just got the job done, right? Sweden just, they came out, set up exactly how you expect them to. They're like, they're like bread and butter, basically Sweden. You, you see, you see them come out, you know, who's going to play, you know, how they're going to play, you know, they're going to try and win as many corners as possible Jona will swing it in at the keeper or at the near post, and they will just pile bodies on the keeper and you know what it's a very effective strategy because Jana has still has a wonderful left foot, and no matter how you know how old she gets in the game, she will never lose that magic left foot so I think you absolutely have to play for it it's a it's a weapon, and the u s have they been challenged the way they're going to be challenged physically by Sweden? I don't know yet. And it'll be really interesting to see how they play against it.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, a big concern about the US coming into this tournament was Alyssa Neha and her sort of drop off as a goalkeeper. We've not really seen the US tested defensively. Um, Obviously, Netherlands did score against them and Portugal almost scored against them, but they have been very much one offs. Um, and lots of the US's problems, I think, have been more about their build-up and their ability to attack. That's not going to be, be something Sweden are concerned about. Sweden have very recent memories of beating the US. They will feel like they can beat the US, and, yeah, they, they will get set pieces and they will have this threat. And I think that's when you could really see um, Nea starting to look a bit flappy. You even saw it, actually, at the end of that that Portugal game where she just comes for a ball and she's getting nowhere near that, um, like the Swedes will literally gobble that up if she's going to play like that in this round of 16 game. Uh, just finally, Germany then, uh, we did see Meli Leupold's dropped with Lena Oberdorf coming back into the team, um, which is just bizarre to me because Sarah de Brits is like non-existent. They ended up losing to Colombia in a pretty meek display from them, um, although they take nothing away from the Colombians. They were fantastic. They're a very, very talented team. Uh, we saw Shuka Nuskan come in for the second half to play in defence. Sarah Dawson does have a muscle injury, so I think we might see more of her. I'm at that game tonight, so hopefully I might get to see some in-real-life uh, Nuskun minutes as she comes up against Jisoo Yun, who I'm also looking forward to getting to see again, even though South Korea have also been horrible as a team. Um, Ollie, just, just quickly on, on this Leupold, De Brits, Oberdorf, you know, midfield, who should play where... I just think Germany's whole problem is that they they don't know what their best midfield is. And I know I'm biased. I just think Potts offers you so much more than De Berets.
1: Yeah, I, I don't really think it's arguable because every time Melly has played, she's looked far more efficient in the role and the task she's been. At, at the, basically, you have to be a facilitator in that role, right? And I just don't think... Sarah de Brits is as much of a glue player as Melly is. I, I just don't think she has I just don't think she has the same capacity in that role and if you pair her with if you pair Melly with an Oberdorf, I just feel like that kind of overwhelming physicality and technicality is just far more useful to have than essentially like a, a half physical more technical player in, in de Brits. So yeah, it's it's a very strange one. It does feel like there's a bit of politics there. Um, I do, I do, like I don't know any other way of explaining why the Brits keeps having so many minutes. Um, but if if she keeps playing and keeps not really hitting the heights that she's being expected to in that role, then I think you just have to bring Melly in. Um, Lena starts, Lena Obedov starts, whatever. But you know um, that's non-negotiable. But I think Melly also has shown in the minutes she's had that she's a very good player in that role and far more efficient than than the Brits has been.
0: Yeah, well, I think the other thing is that we saw that Oberdorf really pushed forward a lot in, in the Columbia game and looked good doing it. It was a real element of Oberdorf that we don't normally see. It's very easy to just sit, think of her sitting in front of the defence and tackling five players at once. Um, but she can pass the ball. She can get forward with the ball. But again, I still think even if you want her to do that, Leupold is the, the player who who plays with Aaron Cuthbert week in, week out, who I, I think does also that kind of thing very well. You know, will drop back, will make tackles, but if she wants to go, she'll go. And having someone who's sort of prepared to hold position to sit and if the ball comes back to them, put together some like neat passes and then get ready to go again if Oberdorf comes back, it just feels like tailor-made as a role for Manny faults But who are we to judge Martina Bostecklenburg? But we will judge Martina Bostecklenburg because otherwise we wouldn't be doing a podcast. Um, all right, that pretty much finishes up us up we did see some nervy in minutes against uh, the usa but that was quite a while ago now she played the second half there and struggled to be totally honest um maika mano is the only outfield japanese player we've not seen yet uh, but they are flying so it's kind of fair enough but i think there was obviously some injury concerns around her so i don't know how fit she actually is we basically have our round of 16 sets. Let me just get my newspaper so I can read out the fixtures to you. We've got Switzerland, Spain, Japan, Norway, Netherlands, South Africa, Sweden, USA, Australia, Denmark, England, Nigeria. France will play the runner of Group H, likely Germany, and likely Colombia will be the winners of that group, and they will play Jamaica. But who knows? We had a lot of upsets yesterday. Uh, maybe we'll get some more today. Ollie, thank you very, very much for joining me. Always a delight.
1: Anytime, as you know. <laughs>
0: Abdullah and I will be back reunited, hopefully on Sunday. So maybe, that episode, I don't know what time day is. We're going to come and have a chat when we're halfway through the round of 16 games about what's happened so far there. So we will speak to you soon. Until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.